Good day and welcome to the MacGyver Report, Wisconsin. This week, the weekly podcast of the MacGyver Institute. Whether it's interviewing the newsmakers of the day, reporting on the truly important stories that you just won't see in the mainstream media, or bringing you the latest cloak and dagger capital intrigue, the MacGyver Report is here to keep you up to speed on all things Wisconsin. From our palatial offices right here on Madison's Capitol Square, we bring you the stories that really matter to you, the taxpayer, and give you our incredibly expert analysis and unfaltering insight that you can only get, or so we hope, from Team MacGyver. Now fueled with bracket-busting March Madness... I am the Reverend Al Green, otherwise known as Matt Kittle, investigative reporter for the MacGyver Institute. And I'm Bill Osmolsky, MacGyver News Director, and uh, we've got quite a show lined up just trying to sort through what happened last week. We're going to examine what the Senate did, then we're going to look at what the Assembly did, then we're going to talk about what they're going to do in the next couple (laughs) weeks. So uh, we've got our expert staff to help us work our way through this. Ola Lasowski, Education and Tax Analyst. And Chris Rochester, Communications Director, here to remind you, as always, be sure to subscribe to the MacIver Report through your favorite podcast app, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play. Leave a review, download us, uh, and uh, don't live in ignorance. I think that should be our tagline for this. Don't That's live right. in Don't ignorance. tread on me. Don't live in ignorance. <laughs> Democracy right? dies in darkness. <laughs> oh, great. Uh, That's, That's exactly where it's you coming You said, from. now you told us not to swear, and here you are <laughs> quoting the Washington Post. <laughs> yeah, four-letter word there. So let's kick things off with what happened in the Senate. Now, first of all... By the way, yes. I, I, would, I would like to say your oh. introduction is uh, very spot on, but trying to figure out what this legislature is going to do next, the Assembly or the Senate, is almost impossible. Well, we've been playing a lot of ping pong going back and forth. Yeah. You know, it's, you know a, lo- uh, a bill has to be passed by both chambers to become a law, but when one chamber amends the bill, then it has to go back to the other chamber. And when that chamber amends it again, it's got to go back and forth and back and forth. So we got some of that sorted out last week. But mm-hmm. uh, starting with um, in the Senate, they, uh, they took on tax rebates. So they took what the Assembly gave them, and they, uh, they uh, kept the $100 child tax credit. So that's a $122 million tax cut. But for the sales tax holiday, they watered that down. So now it's a $12 million sales tax holiday and uh, sent that back to the assembly. Juvenile justice, um, that involved closing the... The Lincoln Hills facility. Lincoln Hills facility and opening a bunch of smaller ones around the states. So the Senate passed that and passed it back to the assembly. Uh, Uniformity in labor laws, that's making sure that every community in the state has the same basic labor laws. So a company that's doing business in Madison and doing business in Marshfield doesn't have to contend with two completely different sets of uh, workplace requirements. Uh, that did that, Yeah, then that got sent back to the assembly. But then the, then the Senate uh, killed the $50 million Rural Economic Development Bill, and they also killed the Kimberly-Clark pay-to-stay That they did. Uh, I think uh, so a lot of kind of mixed results. Uh, If you're a fan of the free market, as we are, 
uh, some good news and some, some not so good news, some things that made it through and some things that didn't. Uh, we put out a statement today along with the uh, two other big free market groups in Wisconsin, uh, with the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty and the Badger Institute, uh, applauding the Senate, saying, you know, some senators apparently stood up in caucus against the Kimberly-Clark bailout, the pay to, the pay to stay bill, uh, and that bill didn't get taken up. So that, that's good news for the free market. Uh, and then that, that rural economic development yeah. slush fund, you know, that, that didn't go anywhere. It didn't sound like it, that it had a real champion in the Senate to push it forward. Well, so Yeah, and slush fund is exactly the word that comes to mind because it's $50 million every single year forever. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's you a know, chunk of change. Yeah, right? and it was really, you know, broad economic development. So grants or whatever, whatever is going to help, you know, the rural economy. I mean, that's... Well, how how many times have we seen it, Ola, where you you have a legislature that puts a program or an initiative in place that's going to cost taxpayers millions upon millions of dollars, and you think, well, let's get one of these things rolling out this year, and all of a sudden, in this case, $50 million to you know rural areas for economic development, whatever it is, as Bill right. said, this broad-based initiative. Just run the gamut. And right? here it is forever. How difficult is it to remove one of these things? We saw that in the budget session. Right. Uh, when finally, after many many years, the the you know the whole state property tax, the, sure. the forestry mill tax, was finally eliminated. It is a rare. How many how many years was that on the books? For <sighs> since, untold years since day yeah day, day one. I think it was right there in the, in the constitution. Yeah, for uh, for the you know the forestry and the mill taxes. Yeah, the state uh, the right. state property tax. So right. it's just that that's just an example. Sure. Of the you know how difficult it is to remove something. Just imagine fifty million dollars on the budget every year that you've got to account for. Right, and that's why we you know this is something we see over and over and over again across a breadth of issues, right? That's why we call it zombie legislation. Mm -hmm. This stuff disappears and you think it's gone, but hmm. oh, it's coming back. Oh, it is. And we had that, of course, if we could mention what we think was the death on arrival of the biggest zombie piece of legislation in this winter session, of course, and that was the whole alcohol czar bill. Right. That one kept coming up and being uh, bashed on the head and knocked down and then God, rising yeah, again. I wouldn't count on it being gone down either for, right. for the count. No. You know? And that's what we're, we're always talking about how, you know, there's just so many different moving parts and it's so hard to, to keep track of everything. And even just on this podcast just last week, mm -hmm. I think I said I was quite confident that the sales tax holiday was dead in the Senate, had talked to multiple senators who said they had no interest in taking it up. Up. Lo and behold, less than 24 hours later, up oh, we found a deal. It's watered down, but they're passing it. Yeah. You know, so it, this stuff really does move change by by the hour. Sometimes it feels like, especially in these last couple weeks, as they just keep kind of passing the volleyball back and forth with who will get what version of which bill when. Um, so just one of many reasons why we exist. This is the, like the Olympics of <laughs> legislation. We got ping pong already mm. and volleyball. Yeah. I'm hoping we get another sport involved in the conversation <laughs> too. Well, we you know, and I described that that sales tax holiday as being watered down, but you know, don't take that to mean it's better, because right. what they did was they took 
all these like specific items out of it now and they So let me guess watered me watered down means they actually made it more complicated much, and, and much difficult to enforce. Exactly. Right. And to implement. So I mean sure. small business owners aren't gonna be happy about this one when oh, they no. actually get the list. Now this one went from fifty million dollars or thereabouts to a, somewhere in the vicinity yeah. of eleven to twelve million, but you're right. It's now what are what's excluded? The confusion over that what is it, the two-day holiday period in August mm-hmm. is going to be, well, uh, breathtaking for some businesses. And then the other point, too, I wanted to make, you, you do have tax reduction, and, you know, that's a good thing for taxpayers. But mm-hmm. obviously there was a battle back and forth going on, particularly between the Assembly and the Senate, on this Walker Initiative for $122 million or uh, paying for a hundred dollar credit for children, for families of children uh, 18 and under. And I think State Representative Dale Coenga said it best on the floor last week when he said, I wouldn't call this a utopia, a Cato Institute perfect tax uh, break, right. but it is a tax break nonetheless. Right. The sales tax holiday, as complicated as it's going to be for businesses, we know, is at least a tax break. Right. Uh, Bill, you have been dealing with uh, memos and uh, communications and bill language that talks about the Democrats wanting to add layers of government and add to the tax uh, base and add to the tax oh, burden. Oh, that's going to be, yeah, that'll be a fun uh, a fun piece when that comes out. But, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the Democrats are not just, yeah, sitting on the uh, sidelines. They are, they are coming up with all the plans that they want to uh, put into place uh, if and when they, they regain power. And it is, it, I didn't see... Uh, Anything uh, talking, mentioning tax cuts in any of the uh, proposals right. that are coming out from that side of the aisle. So yeah. it just kind of goes to show as as much as we, you know, sit here and, and certainly critique minutia by minutia all these different spending initiatives. We've worked really hard to stay on top of all of the spending in this winter session so people know what, what state government is doing with their money. It's really important to always come back to that context and remember that if Republicans were not running those chambers, this is not a conversation we would be having. <laughs> Returning the money back to the people of the state of Wisconsin, whether, you know, what demographic they're a part of mm-hmm. and whether we think, you know, you should pick certain ones or not, even just giving it back to the people as actual money and not a quote unquote service they're told they want and need, that that makes a world of a difference. And I'll go a step farther than that. If more conservatives were listened to some of these liberty bills that we've been talking about, right. some of these uh, reform, government reform, limit the size and scope of government bills would have made it through. On the other side of that is, I think the conservatives really did make a difference, the fiscal conservatives. Oh, Back yeah. to a point we talked about before, the Kimberly Clark bill. Huge. You know, this, this pay-to-stay bill. We, we know based on our sources that were four or five senators who said, absolutely not, we're not voting for that. These are, uh, as I understand it, some of the same conservatives we heard in the budget battle who said, no, there are, there's some bad stuff in here. This is not, these are not conservative principles, and we're just not going to support this. And Ola, you bring up a really good point. Uh, about the difference in the mentality. You mm-hmm. have conservatives, and, and you're the, we can nitpick minutia 
all we want, but you have oh, Senator. Oh, and I certainly will. <laughs> and, you, and, that, and, and that's a perfectly fine thing. Yeah. But you've got Senator Schilling on the floor complaining about the $122 million plus in, in tax cuts and talking about all the different things she could take that money and spend it on right. in terms of yeah. government programs. Yeah. And that's the perfect dichotomy between the two ways of thinking. You've right. got the Governor Walker and the conservative legislature debating how much to return and and and, but not whether to return it and here's Shilling coming up with all kinds of different ways we could spend it on this program or that program or that giveaway Uh, so it's just uh you know we are lucky i think to be in a state that we can nitpick those kinds of details exactly right and it's a clear difference of opinion so on tuesday the senate wrapped up what they were doing and then the assembly came back, I believe, on Thursday, and we've got tort. They passed tort reform, or at least part of you know, part of what they were originally going to do with tort reform. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, uh, they addressed the discovery process. Essentially, you can no longer use the discovery process as a tactic to overwhelm the defendant into settling. That's they, true, and, yep. and with that. It conforms. We've had a lot of conformity, a lot of uniformity, <laughs> but it also this is uh, legislation that brings uh, long overdue the state discovery laws, you know, up to the federal laws, or at least a number, many, many states around the country have adopted these, as as you say, to be able to cut down expenses and streamline the process. Then. Uh, the other thing the assembly did, well, actually, I'm going to talk a little bit about the, I'm going to give you the play-by-play for the uniformity bill. So, first of all, uh, this is uh, bringing all the labor laws across the states to be uh, uniform. This started last month when the, the Senate passed it and sent it to the assembly. Then the assembly took it and amended it to exempt Foxconn and then sent it back to the assembly. The Senate removed the amendment to exempt Foxconn and then send it back to the assembly. And then on Thursday, the assembly passed the bill. So Foxconn is not exempt. Did I get that right? Um, <laughs> I believe I'm you did. Gonna go with, I'm going to go with yes. As that whole process was, I think you nailed it. All right. right. But that, what you just described is what those who followed the legislature, including your fair reporters here, what we went through last oh, week. <laughs> and we'll, we'll try to tell you, you know, how, how things actually wound up, not just, you know, where they ended, you know, where they were when we, uh, you know, liked what where things were going. You right. know, sometimes we forget to report stories through to the conclusion, not here at McIver, but in the overall media scape. Oh, yes. And trying to figure out where <laughs> the conclusion is going to be is the big challenge <laughs> of the, the reporter. Um, the assembly then took tax rebate and sales tax holiday and passed those Senate versions we just talked about. They passed the final juvie justice version, and then they took up their special session bills for school safety. That's a hundred million dollar grants to school districts for safety measures like uh, resource officers. Now that came from the Senate passed a version on Tuesday, not in special session, but they sent that to the Assembly. The Assembly passed it. Walker signed it into law on Monday. So that one is done. Then they also, the Assembly also <laughs> passed an expanded background checks for long guns. Um, which which was something that they were holding really, really tight. They, they weren't talking about exactly yeah. what they were going to do until the moment they did it. Yeah, so we... Um, you know, we don't typically address gun issues at the McIver Institute, but this one has been, you know, so big and just dominated 
the assembly on Thursday that it's hard to ignore. What they did was, well, first of all, status quo is um, for handguns, all the data, if you buy a handgun, your name goes through all the databases. For long guns, which means rifles and shotguns, your name went through some of the databases. The assembly bill made sure that your name would go through all the databases for shotguns and rifles as well. So first of all, I would just like to point out that that sure sounds like universal background checks for me. It sure does. Yeah. So you know, all but the they're people, not calling it universal. No, no. So the, the um, you know, all the advocates of universal background checks, you could say, well, we kind of already have those, and they would say, no, we need them. So that debate goes in circles, which is part of the reason why you know it's best not to even engage in that. Sure. But and, and, and at the end of the day, uh, Senator Fitzgerald had his surprise press conference at noon on Friday, where he said, "I don't see that going anywhere in the Senate anyway." So <laughs> it's something something the assembly can put on their lit piece, even though it's not going to actually make it. But as Robin Voss, the Speaker of the Assembly, said on Thursday when asked a direct question about whether there would be universal background checks debated on the floor of the assembly that day, said, you'll have to watch. And that's what we can say to you, dear podcast listeners. <laughs> you'll have to watch. You'll have to listen because... What Scott Fitzgerald, the Senate Majority Leader, said on Friday is indeed subject to change by the time they get back now, we're told, on April 4th to deal with another piece yeah. of legislation. No, and that just came out, yeah, too. Yeah, so before we get to that, I'd just like to, you know, go back to, you know, talking about the Democrats kind of setting the stage for next session, assuming they can get in power. Something very interesting happened last week. A representative, Leon Young, who most people have never heard about because all he does is come to the Capitol every day to collect his per diem, and he votes however the Democrat Party tells him to vote. So mm -hmm. pretty low-key guy. He put out a bill on Friday that would ban all assault rifles in Wisconsin. And if you have one and you don't relinquish it, you'd go to jail for six years. So pretty radical bill. Pretty radical and bill. And pretty, you know, sophisticated bill, too. His was the only name on it. So... Crickets. Yes. So, well, so what's going on is they're introducing a lot of bills right now to just kind of test the waters and to kind of stake out positions by putting a legislature legislator who never really introduces any bills, just putting his name on it. You could tell they're just kind of testing the idea, just floating it, seeing how it goes. You know, send, send, send old Representative Young out there and see what happens to But him. that's not <laughs> testing the waters. That's a polar plunge. Yeah, right yeah exactly. <laughs> that is jumping in when it's five degrees below zero. And obviously nobody so, wanted to take part in that polar exactly. plunge. Exactly. So no, they, they even, you know, you could tell that that's really what they want to do. But even they think that's a little too far right now. But that's where they want to go. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. So, yeah, that's it's very interesting to just see what the, what you know, the session's over. Why would you be introducing bills now? So it's very interesting to kind of read through those and just kind of see some of the ideas that they're, that they're testing right now. What's interesting to me, and uh, everyone please chime in on this, just in terms of a little bit of the process here, we were told, um, as we've been reporting the final days, what were to be the final days of the winter session, that uh, Speaker Voss wanted to get the assembly out of there by the end of February. Mm -hmm. The idea, let's get what we need to get done, let's have a sense of urgency about it, let's get it wrapped up, and then we'll move on and we'll campaign for November. <laughs> well, a funny thing happened on the way to that plan, because mm -hmm. the Senate uh, uh, still had to take up some things, and the Senate ended up 
voting on some things that would need resolve from the assembly in yet another session. The opportunity for that presented itself when the governor had asked for a special session of the state legislature to deal with school safety matters, of course, in the wake of what occurred in Florida, Parkland, Florida, more than a month ago. That created uh, a split in the Senate and the Assembly. The Senate said, we're going to come back and take care of our business, and we'll include uh, the governor's school safety initiatives in that session. There's going to be nothing special about it. We'll just take this up. Well, the Assembly said, we want to make this special. We want to make this more than special. <laughs> we want to make this extraordinary. And for those of you keeping it. score at home, special means the governor calls, extraordinary effectively means the legislature calls. That's right. So the assembly session on Thursday was technically an extraordinary session. And boy, was it ever. It was and it was exquisite. Well, well that's the next one that, that, if, that, if we have to have that, another extraordinary. That, that's right. So uh, more background. You got to go back to January, where there were uh, two seats became open in the legislature, one in the assembly and one in the Senate. Now, because the session was supposed to be over sometime in February, uh, there was no special election called for these seats. So it was figured it'd just be a waste of money. By the time the person got seated, the session would be over, and it would be time to just go campaign again. Yeah, they'd be they'd be getting paid a salary, yeah. a taxpayer salary, to basically campaign for the next election again. Yeah, would have been would have been really nice for whoever won those special elections, but really really lousy for the taxpayer. But so while this is going on. Across the country, Democrats are using state-level special elections, trying to build momentum for the fall election. So every time there's a special election anywhere in the country, they are bringing all their national resources to bear on that. And the idea is, you know, we're marching towards the general elections and, oh, look, you know, the blue wave is coming. So when Wisconsin decided we aren't going to have these two, these two elections, uh, Eric Holder came in and sued the state. He sued the state in Dane County Court. So a Dane County judge ruled in his favor that Wisconsin needs to hold special elections, even though the session is over. And Robin Voss came out, and he's, he called that judge an activist judge. Then another Dane County judge jumped to her defense and issued an official press release calling Voss all kinds of names. <laughs> so then on Friday, Fitz comes out and comes to Voss's defense. And... Which is not something we see super often no, these days. No, not, not lately. <laughs> so, yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> we just got talking about all the discord between the two houses, but they were... they were Nothing uh, they brings were, Republican leadership together like Eric Holder. That's right. <laughs> so, that. after uh, Fitz had his press conference on Friday and, you know, talked about how judges really shouldn't be getting involved in political rhetoric, you know... That's something that elected officials can do. That's yeah. what they get paid to do. He said, that's, that's my really, job. That's Robin's yeah, job. That's, that's not something that, you know, you expect out of the judicial branch. So anyway, after that was all said and done, later uh, Friday afternoon, they called it an extraordinary session, a second extraordinary session, mind you, that will essentially put the special election on the same day as the general election. Which is something that the legislature believes is... And rightfully so. There's a legislative fix here as opposed to what uh, Robin Voss and Senator Fitzgerald agree is an activist judge from Dane County trying to dictate how these things are going to go. Now, the argument from the Democrats, of course, in all of this has been, hey, this is, uh, you know, this is uh, leaving these districts without representation. 
<laughs> well, you can argue about the politics and all of that surrounding it. But again, we come back to, as we have so often since uh, January 1st, 2011, elections have consequences. And if you're going to go about the business of wanting a different result, then you have to go through the election process and make your case there. Well, and I would like to just touch briefly on these special elections and the narrative that has been building nationally. And it's essentially every time there's a special election, the Democrats are winning. Mm -hmm. That's not true. Yeah, and you're right. The narrative has been, oh, look at election after election going Democrats' yeah. way, but the numbers just simply don't bear that out. No, they, they've, they've done the same, they've used the same template over and over again. The John Ossoff race, uh, where he, he actually lost. Remember that one down in, was that was that Georgia? Georgia? Yeah. Uh, the, no, Alabama, excuse me, Alabama. And then you had no. That's Georgia, and then you had the Roy, Jones. the Roy, the Roy Moore, yeah, Roy Doug Moore, Jones yeah. race. Roy Jones. Uh, you had the Connor <laughs> Lamb race. Mix them, them together. <laughs> so all, all together, you've they're had like Brangelina. <laughs> oh, and then of course yeah, the 10th Senate peace. District too, where yeah. the Democrats were putting all of their national resources into one Senate District with the idea of, like you said, Bill, of building this smoke and mirrors blue wave operation. Yeah. So yes, yeah. So what we're seeing is every time a state has a special election. That nationally, the entire Democrat campaign apparatus is focusing all of its energy and resources onto that race, whereas the Republicans in those states are kind of like they shrug their shoulders, say what happens happens, but even just run kind of a standard election yeah. operation. But you know, even then, so we had the Senate district race that you know the Democrats won, and we all heard about that. We can't stop hearing about that. But then you know there was an assembly uh, special election in December, and the Republicans won that. Nobody the, wants to. Nobody wants to talk about that one. Yeah. Was that part of the blue wave? No. Oh, yeah. Blue. Yeah. Exactly. Blue wave. But, so, you know, but what they but, heard was from the the tenth Senate district is, oh my goodness, uh, Republicans, particularly Republican leadership, getting all worried. Oh my goodness, we're losing you know suburban women. We're losing this mm -hmm. demographic. We're losing that demographic, and. I think a lot of that has been reflected in some of the legislation we've seen. Yeah. And I think that has to do, is directly tied in with the fear of this myth that's been created, but the numbers tell a different story. That's right. Across the country this year, there have been 30 special elections. Democrats went in with six seats, and now they have 12. So that means that Republicans have won 18 out of 30 of these special elections. Nobody's nobody's talking about those numbers. They just talk about the races that the Democrats win. And, you know, some of these races were pretty competitive. But, you know, mm -hmm. oh, forget about it. That's just an anomaly. Well, you know, scorecard says Republicans are still winning these special elections, even though the narrative is trying to I think, ignore and, that. And I think the narrative has a lot to do with it. I think this is about two things. One thing, it's about money. So if the Democrats can say, look, we won this special election and that special election. It was high profile. It was carried in the media. You might shake some more money loose from your liberal donors. And the second thing it's about, it's about, it's about this smoke and mirrors, uh, fictional blue wave. If you put it, if you hashtag it on Twitter, hashtag blue wave enough, then what you do is you scare incumbent Republicans into saying, look, oh, it's going to be a bad year. We're going to get slaughtered. Well, I'm just going to retire. And then you have an open seat and then you have an opportunity for, you know, for that for the incumbent advantage to, to vanish. And then you might actually, it's like a chicken or the egg thing. You might actually create a blue wave by having the smoke and mirrors blue wave. You know, and you know, the dynamic between Republican leadership and 
typical Republican and their base voters has been really interesting too because you know Republican leadership saying oh you know our base are apathetic they aren't you know they just aren't excited about this election yet we're seeing from the Republican leadership across the country a complete lack of excitement and apathy with these you know state state races that they are essentially ignoring and yet the Democrat national organ you know you know apparatus is you know going after every single one and the Demo and the Republicans are just ah. You know, oh, our people just aren't excited. But, you know, the leadership isn't excited either. But what's amazing about all of this is that no matter how they want to paint the narrative, how they want to paint this whole image, last week we found out that Republicans, the Republican Party nationally, has raised record amounts of money. <laughs> Somebody is still excited <laughs> about the potential so, of Republicans and conservatives in this country. Well, you know, may, maybe the strategy is to let the Democrats blow all their money on the state special elections and then we'll come out in full force in the fall. But right. anyway, um, you actually did a McIver News Minutes kind of somewhat related to this recently. Yes, indeed. We were talking about nothing bringing together uh, Republican leadership, even warring Republican leadership like former Attorney General Eric Holder. Yeah. Eric Holder has been very present in Wisconsin, whether it be through litigation, whether it be through, I believe, he has a child at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, so he gets here on a more regular basis mm. anyway, but most recently he was here to, to campaign. Sue. Oh. No, to sue and to campaign. He's, uh, th this guy, you know, he's uh, multifaceted. <laughs> but he was here to campaign for liberal uh, Supreme Court justice candidate Rebecca Dallet. And what we have noted in our coverage and in what you're about to hear at the MacGyver News Minute is Eric Holder's record as Attorney General of the United States was one of horrible abuses of the U.S. Constitution, and this was noting Eric Holder's record. This is the MacGyver News Minute. Here's Matt Kittle. If we are judged by the company we keep, then Eric Holder's campaign trip to Wisconsin late last week raises some interesting questions. The former attorney general, who in his tenure as the nation's top cop, saw the U.S. Constitution as optional at best, rallied the liberal troops to get out the vote for liberal state Supreme Court candidate Rebecca Dallet. Here's what the mainstream media forgot to note in their glowing coverage of Holder. The Obama apostle was the first and only attorney general in history to be held in contempt of Congress for failing to turn over documents in the botched and deadly operation Fast and Furious. Holder was a key defender of the NSA's warrantless wiretaps and used the Justice Department to spy on American journalists and political opponents. In Wisconsin, Holder's Justice Department for years harassed and intimidated parental choice schools in the name of civil rights. Those are just a few of the former Attorney General's abuses. For the MacGyver News Minute, I'm Matt Kittle. For more free market news, log on to MacGyverInstitute.com. And you can catch the MacGyver News Minute every Tuesday and Thursday on News Talk 1130 WISN. And can I just add, it's how perfect is it that Eric Holder is campaigning for Rebecca Dallet? You know, she was she was in a, just today, a Milwaukee Bar Association forum where she again bemoaned and, and, and mourned the fact that the Wisconsin Supreme Court shut down the John Doe investigation. She even said it was un-American for them to do that. Yeah. And here you have the big government abuse King, Eric Holder, who uh, is showing up to campaign for. Certainly aligns with uh, those philosophies. So that's 
something, I suppose, that all voters need to take into consideration, and that is who your friends are, who you align yourself with philosophically. And coming, speaking of elections, uh, we are days away now from the Supreme Court election of April 3rd. And um, we aren't done with hot-button issues for this podcast. Um, UW-Stevens Point has been in the national has been in the national spotlight for about a week now mm-hmm. because they realize that none of the students that are going to UW-Stevens Point are interested in certain classes and looking at, at their budget and making budget decisions based on priorities. They uh, decided to cut a certain, uh, you know, some of these uh, these classes that has got a lot of attention nationally. So, Ola, fill us in on the details. That's right. So, you know, last week I talked about educational outcomes in Wisconsin's K-12 schools. And we spent a little bit of time talking about how fewer and fewer students are choosing to go to college. There are a lot of different reasons for why that's true. The improved job market is definitely one of them. But one thing you absolutely cannot ignore is the return on investment. Um, It's not the sexiest language, but it's something that I always come back to, you know, because ultimately students are looking at that cost of tuition and realizing, hey, maybe I can choose a different path. So UW-Stevens Point, which has faced pretty drastic uh, drops in enrollment in the last couple years, has responded to that. As fewer and fewer students choose UW-Stevens Point as an option, their deficit and their debt has grown. They're they're facing a $4.5 million deficit today. And so a few weeks ago, Stevens Point announced that it would end majors programs for 11 different majors that have low demand, while also expanding other programs and adding eight brand new majors with high demand. So, you know, you first hear that general, oh, cool, all right, they're turning towards the future, they're responding to demand. But oh my gosh, (laughs) you know. (laughs) There's no demand, so let's increase supply, which means more, the government needs to go in and increase funding to Stevens Point, and this is all a funding problem, it is not a student interest problem. Right, exactly. (laughs) So so UW-Stevens Point announced it will end majors programs for 11 different uh, degree programs, which are pretty much all in the liberal arts humanities. You know, you've got art, English, French, uh, geography, history, philosophy, poli-sci, stuff like that. So you kind of think of them as the quote unquote traditional college majors, right? Apparently, they also happen to be some sort of sacred cows that we simply cannot touch because Wait, you can't just cut a couple any class we're finding. Sure, sure. So, you know, just a couple weeks after Stevens Point makes this decision, makes this announcement, they've faced backlash from all across the country. Even outlets like the Wash Post and Market Watch are slamming them for it, for it, calling it a canary in a coal mine. You know, is this the future of higher ed? This is the beginning of the end of the humanities. And I have a couple responses to that. One, fewer than 500 students on a campus of 8,200 have any of those majors as their primary major. Of the class that they already have established, dedicated coming in for the fall of 2018, it's something like 115 students who said that that will be their one and only major. 
Um, they're not ending those programs. Most of them will become minors. Some of them are just turning into different programs. Yeah. Art, for example, while they're cutting the art major, they're turning, they're starting a new major, which will be graphic design. Graphic design is the most popular certificate within the art major program. Mm -hmm. And you have multiple examples of this. Sociology, they're nixing, but they're adding social work. So... You know, geography and geoscience, they're nixing, but they're adding geographical information systems, GIS, which is this incredible software that pe that so, helps people, you, you know, use, use this information. So shifting the focus to more practical application where you can actually get, earn your money back to pay your degree exactly. and your loans. Exactly. And so, you know, the way I look at this, the university, it's, it's taking a look at where students find success after graduation. It's taking a look at what students are asking for, and it's expanding in those areas. And I think that's a phenomenal thing, you know? So I find it rather shocking when you get this protest on campus a couple weeks later called hashtag save our majors, if you wanted to save your majors, you would be enrolling in them. Well, End of the story. People aren't enrolling them, so they're cutting them. Well, you know, you I, know. I want to talk a little bit. Getting back to narratives, you know, sure. all, all these, you know, all these blogs and you know, mainstream media publications from across the country are zeroing in on this. You know, you're talking about, you know, maybe a couple dozen mm -hmm. blog writers and mm -hmm. reporters that have decided that oh, this is going to be, you know, the big issue. Sure, but. When you go down to campus and they had their their big protest about you know stop cutting cutting out our majors, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, there are eighty two hundred students on campus. Representative Katrina Shanklin has this big protest rally. She had seventy people there, seventy, right. and that wasn't just students. That was all kinds of people. Sure. Sure. So obviously, the students who are directly affected by these these cuts and changes. Aren't all that aren't all that upset about it? Right. And it was, a, and it, might I add, it was a beautiful day too. <laughs> <laughs> I just go. I think it drives home the point that um, we it blows the mind of the establishment, the higher education <laughs> defenders, the apologists, those who defend the, this institution at all cost, mm -hmm. that market forces would ever apply to the humanities. Right. That common sense budgeting would right. ever apply to the humanities. And this is the notion from Katrina Shanklin. This is the notion from those uh, Save Our Majors 70 folks who turned out for this protest. Right. The lack of disconnect, the lack of reality. Right. And that is an inescapable fact. You have supply, you have demand. Right. Right. Market forces need to play a significant role in higher education right. as well as anything else in the private sector. That's why the, the, the lack of the private uh uh, private for excuse me, uh, market force is playing a role. The lack of realizing that is why we it's are in the shape we are did. in exactly. in college on college campuses across this country. Right, and that's not to say that the supply is gone entirely. I did some research into this. Mm. Almost every so there are eleven 
uh, four-year universities in the UW system. You know, we most of us, I think of UW-Madison, Milwaukee, right, lacrosse, there's 11 of them, okay? This yeah. is a huge system. Almost every single one of those campuses offers almost every single one of these majors programs yeah. that Stevens Point is mixing, uh, nixing. You know, if you want to major in French, for example, you live in Stevens Point, you don't want to go super far for a whole host of reasons, that's fantastic. There are five other UW campuses within two hours of you that offer that exact same major. Not to mention the fact that Stevens Point will still have that. One, they'll have a major for a teaching certificate. If you do want to have that for French, they'll still have the minor. So we're talking about duplication and how can they make themselves stand up and stand out and become a real, you know, bastion and offer some kind of service that people are asking for you know so one example fine they're cutting majors that almost every other school in the system already has you know what they're adding aquaponics they will be the first school in the system to have that as a major they're offering a master's in natural resources one of the very first programs of that type in the entire system you know we're looking at the future of agriculture here um so, so, so this idea that it's this this canary in a coal mine, you know, you have Senator Dave Hansen on the floor of the Senate, 70 years old, mind you, nothing against him, right? Nothing, nothing against that age, declaring that Wisconsin's future is in the liberal arts. No, no, it's not. It's STEM. It's robotics. It's engineering, which Stevens Point also is adding to multiple different engineering programs. But what are people 50 years younger than Dave Hansen, who are connected with the real world of real jobs right, right now, or looking to get into the real world of right. real jobs, those those who are not surrounded by their safe spaces. Sure. What, what, what do they know? <laughs> they know a hell, a hell of a lot more than Dave Hansen yeah. knows about what they need. And back to your point, which you say is not so interesting, but I think it's really interesting, return on investment, because right. I think everybody oh who's 20 yeah. years old, who's 25 years old today, is thinking about that. What is the value of this education? Sure. One final point I'd like to make on all of this, and you did this in a column that ran in a Stevens Point publication Sorry. last week. You can find it at MacGyverInstitute.com. Conservatives everywhere in the sound of my voice, stand up for the chancellor of Stevens Point right. and every responsible college administrator right. out there. There are so few. This guy is saying, we have market conditions, market forces in play here. We need to deal with this realistically. Right. And he's getting the same old song and dance from the liberal defend liberal arts education at all cost, including common sense crowd. Right. And, you know... Again, they're making a lot of noise about this, but at the end of the day, there were 70 individuals who were mad enough to go down to campus right. and demand that they not do it. So yeah. drop in the bucket. <laughs> I wonder how many of those folks were, were uh, guaranteed a, a free meal. Well, yeah, how many of them were actual students versus how many of them, you know. There are market forces right there, <laughs> stomach forces. Yes. That's right. So the rest of the, so this is, uh, we're on uh, Holy Week. There's not a lot going on at the Capitol this week, but starting next week, it's going to get exciting again. We got the spring general election on Tuesday with the Supreme Court race, so we'll finally uh, see how that one's going to turn out. Mm -hmm. And then on Wednesday, 
The Senate is coming in for its extraordinary, stupendous session to address <laughs> special elections. That's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. And uh, who knows what could be attached in forums of an amendments to take care of business that the Assembly had pushed off to the Senate. We'll see what Senate leadership wants to do with the follow-up and see if that adds to an extra super groovy, spectacular, <laughs> extraordinary session uh, for the assembly after all of that is said and done. So the game of ping pong continues. And that will do it for this week's McIver, uh, McIver Report. Uh, Matt, you usually lead us out, so... Well, I just a couple of important yeah. things coming up just before we say goodbye, and, yeah. and Bill, you pointed to it. No matter how you vote, get on out and vote Tuesday. Uh, very few of your... Your neighbors will do that. We have very low turnout, but we're expecting because this is a statewide Supreme Court race, people will be interested. Also note that coming up at MacGyver Institute this week, we'll have a story on kind of the forgotten referendum. That's a referendum to end the post of state treasurer. Mm. Very interesting. We'll give you some more details on that. Keep in mind, there is an election, and you can ha make a difference impacting where the state is going simply by going to your polling booth. And until we get together next week, same bat time, same bat channel, this is Matt Kittle for Team MacGyver saying so long. God bless. Mm -hmm.